Hello, I'm Davis Nordell, a Senior Technology Analyst at RSM US LLP. We are proud to be sponsoring this podcast in collaboration with the Puget Sound Business Journal. At RSM, our purpose is to deliver the power of being understood to our clients, colleagues, and communities through world-class audit, tax, and consulting services focused on middle market companies. The business world is evolving rapidly. In this fast-paced environment, RSM understands that you need an advisor who thinks ahead and rapidly responds to the changing needs of your business. At RSM, we build strong relationships by being committed to understanding our clients' industries and embracing what matters most to our clients. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to this Business Journal podcast. I'm Rick Morgan, a tech reporter at the Business Journal. Today, I'm joined by ExtraHop co-founder and chief technology officer, Jesse Rothstein. Jesse co-founded the cybersecurity firm ExtraHop in 2007. The firm, which now has more than 500 employees, was acquired by Bain Capital Private Equity and Crosspoint Capital Partners earlier this year for $900 million. ExtraHop's clients include Home Depot and Ulta Beauty. Jesse, thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me, Rick. Uh, so I want to start by, you know, uh, we, we spoke in the past about the acquisition, but can you maybe start off by saying, you know, what, if anything, is different about your operations now post-acquisition? Well, I, I, that's a good question. I, I think that the biggest difference is really that Bain and Crosspoint bring with them both uh, an investment of capital and also a large investment of expertise. They, they both have a very strong track record of working with late stage growth companies uh, in order to capitalize on high growth market opportunities. So I think this is just a very large opportunity for the company to, to double down on, on our core mission uh, to help organizations really stop those advanced threats and cyber attacks. Mm -hmm. Is the cyber threat uh, landscape, I mean, how is that sort of changing? Uh, you know, obviously it's, it's all over the news right now. I mean, uh, what is ExtraHop keeping an eye on? Well, 2021 was really a, a bellwether year in, in sort of a bad way in terms of marking the, the changing threat landscape. Mm -hmm. 2020 kind of came to a close with the, the solar wind supply chain compromise, which I think was very much a, a wake-up call to the industry around uh, advanced threats, and in particular, advanced threats with nation-state sponsorship. And then it, it's been followed by just kind of an almost... Uh, unending parade of, of, of one after the other type of cyber attack, whether it's the set of proxy logon kind of Microsoft Exchange vulnerabilities or the Kaseya ransomware campaign, uh, we, we've seen perhaps one of the most difficult years for businesses that are very much caught in the crossfire of nation states who I, uh, or, or act, threat actors with nation state backing who are conducting operations in the cyber theater. Mm -hmm. um, and has that changed how ExtraHop is, is approaching its work or how it's um, conducting its operations? Well, th this is a situation where I think perhaps the technology that ExtraHop has been uh, building and refining for, for really years and, and perhaps even as, as long as a decade has very much uh, Come, come into play exactly when the market needed it. Mm -hmm. uh, our, our technology has, has always really been focused on 
securing users, or we're securing really workloads and infrastructure uh, from these advanced threats, and maybe a little less so on, on the everyday threats of, of phishing and malware that I think so much of the, the cybersecurity industry has, has focused on until mm -hmm. now. Got it. Moving back to the acquisition news for a minute, um, you know, obviously it was um, a very uh, noteworthy acquisition, but one of the big things that was noteworthy about, about it was um, that it was private equity companies. Uh, what about the acquisition by private equity companies was so appealing to Extra Hops? So this is where I, I want to be a little bit careful because private equity has a, a certain stigma, I, I think, from a, a decade or two ago that, that really just no longer applies today because the, the private equity companies that we see making technology investments are, are really growth equity companies. These are not private equity companies that, uh, that, that, that they don't really have the same behaviors as, as maybe private equity companies did in, in the bricks and mortar realm of the, I, I don't even know when, maybe the, the, the late 1980s or 1990s. Sure, yeah. So growth stage private equity really behaves very similarly to late, late stage venture and even crossover investment. It's a way of funding uh, high growth business and, and market opportunities with st while still remaining in the private capital markets uh, without perhaps venturing into the public capital markets. And we, we've seen recent trends now where companies tend to stay private longer because they have the flexibility to do so. They have that access to private capital and they can continue really building that, that, that great business and focusing on a, a certain market opportunity and, and on innovation and go-to-market expansion without necessarily the distraction of the public capital markets. Mm, I see. And the last time we spoke, uh, an IPO was uh, still on the table and maybe it sounded like even the preferred goal for the company. Uh, has that changed at all or is that still kind of the uh, in your guys' sights? I, I don't think that's changed at all, Rick. Uh, private equity investors are very similar to venture investors in that they do eventually look for a return on their investment. And uh, a return on investment through, through an IPO or you know, some sort of other liquidity, liquidity event is, is very much still on the table for extra hop. And we definitely have our, our sights set on a potential IPO in the, in, in the future. Fantastic. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, you know, your personal background. I know you switched from being uh, the CEO of ExtraHop to being the CTO in 2016, and that's something that a lot of founders have a hard time with. Um, what was that process like for you? You seem to have thrived in it. How did that kind of work for you? So you're, you, that, that's correct, Rick. I, uh, after being CEO of ExtraHop for, it was really over nine years, we, we brought in an outside CEO uh, which allowed me to really step into the CTO full time. So perhaps one, one distinction to draw there is I, I was wearing many hats and, and perhaps a, a couple too many hats for too long uh, in that extra didn't have a, a, a different CTO. I, I was probably doing both jobs in, in hindsight for longer than I should have. So it, it reached a point where when we brought on uh, our outside CEO, it really allowed me to focus on, on the product and technology in a way that was getting difficult to do as the company was, was growing and, and getting larger. Now, of course, this was, this was five years ago, but with the benefit of hindsight, I can tell you that uh, a combination of that focus as, as well as the, the market pull to cybersecurity 
really allowed us to double down on, on cybersecurity in a way that I, I think would have been difficult if I were perhaps still in the, in the CEO role and, and attempting to wear multiple hats. Mm-hmm. Would, would you give any advice to other founders in, in similar situations that, um, you know, maybe uh, feel kind of pulled in too many different directions after founding their company? I think, well, I think a natural consequence of, of growth and, and scaling really for, for any individual in a leadership role is it's not uncommon for them to go from wearing many, many, many hats to perhaps divesting themselves of, of a few of those hats and, and focusing a, a bit more on uh, certain areas and, and, and certainly uh, maybe, maybe honing their re- leadership skills. So I think, that, I think that's general advice for any leader. I think when it comes to bringing in an, an outside CEO for a founder, it, it completely depends on the reasons. Mm-hmm. If, if, if the reasons are to allow that founder to maybe focus in, in areas where they have strong expertise and, and strong skill set and aptitude, then that, that could be very beneficial to the entire company. If, if the reasons are that you know, the, the venture capitalists or the board have, have somehow you know, lost faith in, in that founder CEO, then then there there could then those reasons might might yeah. might not be quite as healthy. And I think when bringing on any new CEO and 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 really anybody in a leadership position into a new organization, one has to consider kind of some dimensions of fit, like stage fit and, and culture fit in particular. Are, I think are very important. If you bring on the the wrong candidate who perhaps is very experienced or very um, has a great deal of experience with a much, much larger stage organization, uh, and you bring this individual into a smaller stage, you can have kind of an impedance mismatch there where maybe the organism re- rejects that individual due to uh, some poor stage fit. So regardless of the situation, I think those dimensions of fit are, are very, very important. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So uh, what would you say your leadership style is? Well, Rick, I... I, I gave that some thought and I, I, my leadership style has really changed a, a lot as, as we've grown as a company and as I've needed to scale. When XROP was really small, I, I think a, a lot of what I was required to do was making decisions. So I would focus a lot on, on making good decisions. But nowadays, and, and really for some years now, I focus a lot more on how decisions are made. Because if decisions are made the right way, an organization can scale. Whereas one individual who's maybe making a lot of decisions is going to be a, a bottleneck. And when I think about where I spend my time, I, I probably spend 85% of my time at least just kind of driving on it. Because I, I think in a, in a well-run organization that, or, or certainly a high-functioning organization, in order to get anywhere, everybody has to be at least rowing in approximately the same direction. So that's, that's very important. And then finally, I, I would say that very often, I think asking the right questions is better than having the answer. And, and sometimes I, I jokingly refer to that as the Alex Trebek School of Management uh, in honor of the, the, late Jeopardy, the late great Jeopardy host, Alex Trebek, because I'll, very often I'll, I'll, try to, I'll try to formulate my answers in the form of a question, because asking the right question can be a, a, a lot better. Definitely. That's something I never thought of before. Well, we mentioned in the intro that the company has more than 500 employees now. Uh, what are your growth plans here in the Seattle area and beyond? So 
Rick, we're, we're very committed to Seattle. Uh, Seattle remains our, our corporate headquarters. A- at the same time, and perhaps I'm reading in between the lines here a bit, the, the work landscape has, has changed very much over the past 18 months. Mm-hmm. And like so many companies, we've been working remote during that time. And that's really opened up uh, really the, the, the talent market to us. Now we're able to access talent that, that perhaps isn't located in, in Seattle. So mm-hmm. I think uh, for our part, you know, we're looking to grow our team both locally and, and you know, internationally and, and, and domestically as well. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, the, um, in terms of that growth uh, and the type of roles that you're looking for, um, is there anything specifically that, that's particularly important to ExtraHop right now as it grows out of the team? Well, we, we, we have a, a lot of open positions at ExtraHop. I guess I should start with that. We, you know, we're, uh-huh. we're, we're hiring really across the board. Speaking for the, the research and development team, which, which I lead, we have open positions for data scientists and cloud engineers and threat researchers and product managers, but really our, our open positions uh, are, are across the entire company. We're, we're expand, expanding on our, our go-to-market, so that means we're hiring people in both our, our marketing and sales department. As any, as any organization grows, that, that includes supporting functions as well. So whether that's customer success or, or support or accounting or, or finance or, or legal, I, I think we have organi- I think we have open positions pretty much across the entire company. Mm-hmm. In terms of working remotely, uh, were there any challenges challenges to that as a cybersecurity company? I mean, I, I have to imagine that there was certainly some some kinks you guys had to work out. I mean, I guess this what were some of the the hurdles that you had to overcome in, in working remotely as such a um, massive cybersecurity company where the stakes are so high? I don't want to say that there were no challenges at all to working remotely, but I am going to say that the the challenges were much, much less than I anticipated. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I really thought that uh, our, you know, kind of the ability ability to to kind of have those hallway conversations or, or, or hit a whiteboard were very, very were a necessary ingredient to innovation within our company. And, and certainly we, we missed those interactions, but it turns out that we had already built, I think, such a, such a strong culture, such strong lines of communication and, and really good tools for collaboration that when it came time to work remotely, we were able to, to do so w- without really skipping a beat. Now, to, to your question about cybersecurity in, in particular, I think we'd already had some, some really good systems in place such that mm-hmm. we were able to, to work remote without having, um, with, with, without having a, a large exposure of, you know, company data and, and resources when you, when you start interacting with people's potentially unsecured or, or less secured home networks. You know, we, we already had uh, tools and technologies in place for, for remote access and collaboration and, and, and others yeah. such that that, that was probably a secondary concern. You know, for, for our part, I, I was probably more concerned about the impact to our culture when it came to working remote mm-hmm. than I, I was really concerned about the, the, the tools and technologies. Gotcha. And then the last thing I wanted to ask you today is, you know, what is one thing your employees probably don't know about you? 
I, I gave this question some, some thought and uh, somebody actually suggested this to me, but it turns out that some of my good advice sometimes comes from bedtime stories I used to read my kids. And uh, this one story, Zen Shorts, which came out in 2005 and now has an Apple TV show based on it, uh, had, a, had a surprisingly large impact on, on me in terms of how I approach uh, certain things. It's called Zen Shorts? Zen Shorts. That's what, correct. Are, what, are, what are the uh, you know, the quick elevator pitch for the show? What's it, what are the, the book? Um, what what could you expect from it? But the, the original book really included just um, I think three or four kind kind of Zen fables uh, mm-hmm. about how to how to how to think about certain things. You know how to think about what happens when uh, something doesn't doesn't go your way or, or or occurs in a way that might ostensibly seem bad, but in the long run isn't. Uh, there's a, there's another fable that has to do with, uh, you know, not, not carrying, uh, not carrying burdens that maybe happened in the past. So like, like I said, a, a surprising amount of my, my good advice might've come from some bedtime stories that I've read that had a particularly large impact on me. Fantastic. Well, it sounds like that's something we could all uh, use some more of so we don't throw our laptops against the wall in frustration when things don't go our way. It, it's it's a good story. It's a good set of stories, if nothing else. For sure, definitely. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing all this information with us. It's been my pleasure, Rick. Thank you so much for having me. Take care.